welcome to the 1010 News tonight. So today we have um, six members uh, joining this talk and uh, uh, I'm the anchor for tonight. I'm Kevin and uh, the participants will be Han, Neil, Anna, Wesley and Christine. So let's come to our first news for today. Let me check. Um, that will be just mine. Yeah, which is mine. Oh, Christine's news is the first one. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Christine, please go on. Okay. So, my news um, is from The Economist, and the title is The Future of Meetings. Um, so, this is a relatively simple and relaxing news. It's just about um, the meetings, um, per, like pattern, the pattern for the meetings will probably be changed in the future. And actually, it is changed already uh, for current situation. Okay, so um, to summarize this news, um, uh, since you know the pandemic, actually the meetings um, pattern and style has already com converted a lot uh, comparing to like what has, what in the past. Oops, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so um, so since March 2020, which was last year, the Nasdaq actually, um, the Nasdaq exchange in New York actually has already held more than um, 150 virtual bail ceremonies. And also the Hong Kong Stock Exchange has conducted at least 140. And so the aggregate amount of time people spend on Microsoft Teams video conferencing platform has tripled to uh, 45 minutes hours a day. Yeah, which is really, really a long time. And Zoom went from a just a moderate, uh, successful startup to a, yeah, you know, now it's a giant already. So um, now since the pandemic has been eased a little bit, um, many companies are reopening and also considering to like go back to their offices and also reconfiguring their work arrangements into like uh, a hybrid kind of meetings. So it's like, uh, there are people in the meeting rooms, there are like real people in the meeting rooms, but also some people uh, virtually dial in uh, from internet. So yeah, they're also rethinking like these kind of approach to meetings. So there was this poll of uh, more than 7,000 people in 10 countries by Zoom actually found that um, the two thirds uh, of people within the, yeah, you know, the participants would prefer actually a mix of virtual and in-person meetings in the future. And uh, because uh, actually fully virtual meetings are not uh, really having a, a like a future uh, because of the rampant Delta variant, you know, uh, we are not actually able to go back to the office that easy. So yeah, uh, the fully uh, virtual meetings or the fully like real per people meetings are actually not that um, like uh, happen, are not gonna happen like real quick so yeah there is a hybrid type and also there are already some companies doing this kind of um organizing the hybrid type meetings like there is a service called lumi l-u-m-i and it is a service which helps organize uh the show shareholder meetings and uh it is already um have the 90 percent of the year's gathering be like fully remote and compare with uh 11% in 2019. And there was, uh, there's also a firm called Open Exchange that provides um, fully, I'm sorry, uh, provides virtual and hybrid events for companies and investors. 
So yeah, there are these kind of um, services coming out. And um, actually, uh, there are two reasons for um, not going back to a yeah, real um, conference room meeting. Um, the first reason is, of course, the uh, Delta variant of COVID-19. And the second one is that uh, the virtual meetings actually allow more people to attend um, the meetings than uh, if the participants had to travel in the past to distant locations. So actually online gatherings can be more flexible like what we are doing just now. So yeah, it's actually a great idea comparing to uh, people, the time when people needed to convert uh, like commute to a place every day. So actually uh, in uh, during the pandemic time, a lot of British workers already schedule their meetings at the times they uh, like normally they would like to be commuting to and from work and they schedule the time um, at, at these kind of time for the meeting instead. Okay, so uh, it is also found that 87% of the respondents um, said their firms were able to close deals in a purely virtual environment. This is uh, according to Deloitte um, survey, a uh, 1,000 executives in America involved in like private equity transactions and mergers and acquisitions. And, and more than half of uh, these people would prefer actually to maintain this after the pandemic. But um, the virtual kind of meetings um, have some drawbacks too. So for example, um, there are more meetings can be packed into a day. So yeah, maybe like Neil, you will have like more meetings comparing to the past because you have like more time within a day. So yeah, probably your supervisor will, will have to like stock more meetings for you in a day and which will lead to this new term called Zoom fatigue. Yeah, it's another phrase um, uh, like gradually enter the common parlance because, because of the this kind of situation and people are uh, really like getting tired of having a lot of meetings because they are only stayed at home and their supervisor think they have probably more time comparing to the past. So uh, the average meeting in Microsoft Teams lengthened from 35 to 45 minute, minutes comparing to uh, just a year earlier. Yeah, so uh, hybrid meetings uh, present a particular challenge because uh, most organizations has, have like under invested in the audio visual technology um, that can ensure people who um, dial in the screen can be seen and also be heard well. So these people would not feel like like a second hand, uh, like second class citizens. Yeah, because of that. And uh, because in the past, when the pandemic hasn't strike, haven't struck this world, um, these kind of considerations were not a we're not actually a consideration because people think that, oh, it's okay because we're all going into the conference room. So if the, the light is poor or the space is like really, really crowded or the microphones are bad, it's okay because we can um, just communicate in person. But right now, these kind of services, um, this kind of like poor, um, um, yeah, poor installations make people hard to communicate. And the people who dial in from the screen or from the internet feel like, yeah, they are left alone because they cannot really join the communication. Yeah, so uh, such kind of technical problems um, actually can be fixed with better technology. So uh, some companies are experimenting with like uh, higher quality screens and uh, voice tracking cameras or so on and so forth, such kind of um, technology that can limit the background noise. And uh, the software 
uh, that can transcribe or record the meetings is also becoming standard, which can uh, ease the pres pressure on the employees to attend every session. And um, the Silicon Valley giants such as the Microsoft and the Facebook also want to take the things like a step further, which is to de develop this uh, argument, uh, augmented reality metaverse, which um, users can actually uh, interact with one another in real time while they are using um, actually virtual meeting um, yeah, systems. Okay, so yeah, this is basically about this news. And there's also a very fun thing for um, the companies that are not uh, like stand for the idea of the virtual culture, because um, for example, the JP Morgan Bank, um, they are actually really against this kind of meeting. And the, <laughs> there is a really interesting contest happened uh, just this summer that the boss of JP Morgan's, which is Jamie Dimon, he is actually um, being annoyed by the, all the virtual kind of thing. So he, uh, buy, uh, he bought a lot of the private planes, which can um, make their uh, employees go to these plans to uh, make available to managing their directors and also uh, close some deals within the plane. So yeah, there is this contest kickoff at the bank where uh, the employees awarded points for face-to-face -face client meetings on these kind of plans and the reward for uh, yeah, this contest contest is a meal with the JP Morgan's top breast. So yeah, it's actually, um, there are two kinds of voices, which uh, one of them stand for virtual meetings and one of them are actually hoping their employees can go back, uh, their employers, oh, sorry, employees can go back to the office earlier. So yeah, this is a very quick summary for my news. And yeah, my question is also really simple. It is that, um, do you prefer virtual meetings or hybrid more than the physical ones? Why or why not? And I will like to uh, invite Neil and Anna and Ham to answer this question. So maybe Neil can go first. I prefer I prefer virtual meeting because it is it is more convenient and I can do the meeting um, anywhere I want. Uh, I really don't understand really don't understand why do we need a, a physical meeting. Um, so I really like the virtual ones, uh, although it increased my workload. But if, it's, if, if that's the case, I will still prefer uh, physical, uh, sorry, virtual meetings. Um, uh, I should explain a bit the, the reason why. Um, in many of the occasions, um, at my day-to-day -day meeting, I think probably for you guys as well, you will be asked to join a meeting that, that you're not the owner. So like 90% of my time, or I'm the owner of the meeting, I will, I will lead the whole discussion. There, there, there are sometimes like three hour meeting, um, our salespeople will say, hey, Neil, can you go to Miaoli? There's a three hour workshop with a customer. And I say, what, what is my topic? Oh, don't worry. Uh, we have an extra bin down. You just come over. And you know you can answer some of the tough questions, or I said they, they won't ask tough questions. They're nice people. They're just Suzuai, uh, right? They won't ask tough questions. I don't know where we, I'm coming. And if you don't go, they'll say, "Oh, you you're not helping on the deal. You're jeopardizing our our target, sales target." So I have to go, and you have to spend three 
you have to take the high-speed railway to the place. You sit there for three hours. You speak nothing. You just sit there. It's meaningless. But if it's like conference call or a virtual meeting, I say, okay, no problem. We'll meet you back up. If they have a question, send me a link. I just go in there right away. Or I can I can stay there with my phone and I don't have to speak anything. So I think it's a great great options where I can join meetings dynamically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you don't like worry about whether your um, like your boss asks you to do extra meetings within a day, like to stock all of your schedule. Yeah, yeah, that's the only disadvantage. But comparing with, um, you know, comparing with spending meaningless time for the whole afternoon to go to a place, or you've been called into a meeting, uh, you have to be there physically, and you can't even go to pee. It's really, uh, yeah, it's not a. I, I would prefer virtual one, even though I have I'll be called into a meeting that does not relate to myself. But I don't really have to say something. And from my experience is that the foreigners can adopt virtual meeting better than us because they always open up the camera. But for, for Asian people, especially when we talk with Chinese people, Hong Kong people from Hong Kong, they, we, nobody opens up the camera. And uh, yeah, so we, we've been asked. I don't, I don't know about your experience. We've been asked to open up the camera. So you'll feel more, more engaged. Okay. How about, how about Anna? Uh, I think I, it depends on the purpose of the meeting. If it's just like a discussion or like informational, I prefer the uh, virtual one. But if uh, it related to some like relation building, I will prefer the, um, I think the physical one. But I think uh, as long as you join a company for a longer time, I think informational or discussion purpose meeting are more. So I still prefer the virtual one, especially sometimes uh, if we don't need to open the camera, I don't need to control my face, my expression. I can just find by in if I don't like the idea. So I think the more relaxing because sometimes you was hear about some stupid things in the meeting and it's not, um, comfortable if you need to hide this feeling in the physical one. And uh, I think if there are more people join a physical meeting, sometimes very crowded and you could not sit comfortably and you could not take your note um, with, with, with the proper space. So yeah, so I think it just depends on the purpose. And I think more meeting for me right now is for discussion. So I can uh, stay with the virtual one. Okay. How Let about me ask gir girls something. Okay. Uh, my colleagues always told me that uh, they don't want to open up the camera because they didn't put any makeup. Yeah. So, what are the things that can help you with that? If we Zoom and Microsoft Teams has has made to show show, does it help? I think it's pretty fine for me to, to not putting any makeup but joining a meeting but just just a little bit um, concerned that that might be not polite to some supervisors because they will probably think oh yeah you didn't put any makeup so probably you are not respecting me yeah so so that I think that's that's the main reason 
if yeah if there there is no makeup on my face mm -hmm. but i think the effect of zoom is pretty weird so sometimes I'll try to close it but actually when we are doing the virtual meeting it the 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 I think it's not very clear if you do wear a very that uh, delicate makeup or not. As long as you have put some uh, some color on your lip, on your lip, and people yeah. are thinking your makeup, and that's yeah. it for me most of the time. Yeah, I think that's true, and also the eyebrow, and yes, it will look yeah. fine. Yeah, <laughs> and you uh, neglect the the others. <laughs> Yeah. So so I guess maybe maybe you can design a a uh, Lu Jing. I don't know what how to say that in English. Uh, uh, sorry? Oh yeah, a filter with eyebrow and lipsticks, then yeah, it will it will be fine. That's all. Mm -hmm. Okay, how about him? So I, I'm trying to see if there's any filter in, in Zoom, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so I I, I think I exactly agree with what Anna just said like for uh, for the uh, your colleagues and for like your existing clients it's very good to use the virtual meeting because they don't care we don't care that much about the politeness and we don't care that much about the format but just to exchange the information and to make sure that everyone is on the same page I think the best part for the uh, virtual meeting is everyone can share immediately their stuff their materials so when, when you state, uh, make a statement, you can uh, immediately share your screen and point out that information you want to, you want to share. So I feel like uh, it's more efficient to have a virtual meeting with my colleagues and the existing client. But, uh, but for new clients uh, or like the potential clients, it's, it's, I would say it's very challenging because it's not just about the, the relation stuff, but also you have, uh, they have to make sure their hardware is it, and the connection is secure enough and also the fluent enough to, to make a meeting. So sometimes there will be some like mis misunderstandings and some someone mutes or like some voice is very breaking. And then like the inter the communication cost is so high, right? Like so you have to repeat again and it makes you feel more uh, not professional and you will cause some uh, side effect on your relationship i would say so because we i actually had some uh some meetings with the outside new clients and this happened and when this happened it's very embarrassing and also it's risky for especially for a senior course you know for like ceo or for some you know uh business head and versus some c uh the, our client ceo and this happened and it's very awkward yeah okay Got it. Yeah, so so I think there's there's still like pros and cons for virtual meetings and also hybrid meetings, but I guess people people are also like still like really, really um for the virtual meeting idea because it can save a lot of time. Yeah, okay. So this is basically about my news. And I think we can move to the next one. Next one will be news news. Neil, please. Oh, oh, oh my, oh my. Um, so, uh, hello, and uh, hi, I'm Neil, and uh, sorry, 
Okay, so my news is that Google and Apple's ne next regulatory headaches are looming across the Pacific, Asia Pacific. So basically the news is about that uh, Google and Apple have a, a lot of, uh, are facing a lot of disagreements from the public and the government on the payment practice in Asia Pacific, especially two countries, which is South Korea and Australia. So um, also there are, you know, in the United States or uh, European nation are thinking that the Apple Store and Google Play has built a pretty big and massive ecosystem that is uh, threatening, threatening the benefits of the, the public and the developers and everybody in the, in the ecosystem, but only them, the, the company themselves are making money. Okay, and um, so this is uh, basically the news is telling that Apple Store has a commission as, uh, for around about 30, 30%. So um, if you sell an app like Angry Bird for $1, you have to pay, uh, the developer has to pay uh, Apple uh, $0.3, okay? And uh, so 70% goes to them. And they, Apple does not allow customers to download application mobile app from other sources, except for Apple Store. But as far as I know, and Google Play, you can, you can easily get application on Android from various sources. Very easy, very easy. Okay. And uh, the argument from Apple is that if there is another Apple, Apple Store, it is very, very hard to control the quality of the app. And uh, there might be risk of fraud, there might be privacy concern, and there are a lot of con uh, control and features provided by Apple's iPhone, which is like uh, you, you might download uh, uh, app like usually what Wesley is using every day, and that's probably bad for children. <laughs> and and you know there is actually a control, parental control. You can prevent your kids from download application that is not good for kids. Okay, if you, don't, you if you have a different app app store, you won't be able to do to utilize that kind of control. And and my question will go to Wesley later. Yeah, and so but but Apple has released some some um, I would say they, they recently slashed the fees from thirty percent to fifteen percent. Actually, this is the news we have discussed earlier. Uh, for developer, if you if you make less than one million dollar USD per year, uh, you you only have to pay fifteen percent. Okay. Uh, in South Korea, many, many, uh, many of the government officials are saying, uh, are saying that they think the Silicon Valley are taking advantage of their, their uh, long-standing dominance, and they're trying to threaten to the, the benefit of the public and undercut developers. And they are, they said that Apple and Google should not force developers to use their payment system, which is, uh, you should allow. If, if I, I bought. I have, I can download Angry Bird for free and you can buy it through Apple Store or you can go to another website it's called angrybird.com and you can pay that and you get probably a, a serial number, you enter into your app. So you don't really have to pay through Apple and Google's, Google's store, okay? And they're just trying to pass a law specifically for Google and Apple, um, uh, force them that they offer an alternative that actually the app developers can provide an alternative for their, their consumers to pay. Um, and, uh, and in Australia, they think Apple Pay and Google Play are, Google Pay are actually threatening the ecosystem as well. 
And if they, if they, if they don't do anything that the Silicon Valley will determine the future of critical piece of our economic infrastructure, which is something I think it's impossible because no, not too many people are using Google Pay actually. So I don't know why, why, why are we not afraid of. Okay, and uh, so the, this is basically about the news. And my question is, as a user, do you want to download apps from places other than Apple Store or Google Play? Sorry, first quick poll. Do you, you, if you use iPhone, raise your hand. Oh my God, we need an Android guy here. <laughs> so, okay, as a user, do you want to download apps from places other than Apple Store or Google Play? Why or why not? Wesley, Kevin, and Christine. And I can go first. Uh, yeah, as a user, I'm also thinking about this question that although I'm liberal people, I mean, uh, I, I know the benefit of a uh, free market, but still as a user, I would, I would love to uh, go find a certain one place to download everything that I need. So, I mean, currently I don't see any threat on my behavior uh, that Apple is doing a mon monopoly on the marketplace. So actually, uh, I think I'm kind of like a Apple believers in, in a way that uh, I think a lot of people here will use some uh, uh, music streaming uh, platform like uh, like what like uh, like KK Box or like uh, Spotify, right? Yeah. But for me, I I would choose to use Apple Music simply because that I, I don't need to download another app. What? on my iPhone and and that is uh that will make my uh, uh desk uh, desktop on my I mean I mean the the screen of my my uh iPhone more concise and that's the sole reason I choose <laughs> Apple music instead of uh, Spotify yeah so as a as a user I I I think right now I will choose to have a more simple ways to buy things. Although I, I don't I, I I understand that as an Android user they can uh, download a lot of application freely as long as you have some uh, installation uh, uh, files in in hands you can you can do whatever you want but um yeah I mean I think I I kind of used to the current situation that Apple provided me so yeah that sorry. Is you just got me curious. What kind of music are you listening usually? Yeah, actually, at first, Apple Music is like very suck. <laughs> you don't have a lot of uh, good music, like Chinese Chinese uh, music. They, they don't provide that. But, uh, um, do, do they have Mayday, Jay Cho, Zhou Tanghao? Does it have it? Uh, at first, they don't. But right now, they do. Right oh, now, they no, do. No, there is. And right now, they also provide for, uh, uh, the looseless uh, version of, of music. So it's kind of okay to use that right now, but uh, the price is still expensive comparing to Spotify. How uh, much is me, it? <laughs> yeah, like, like 2,210 uh, per, per month. Yeah, mm -hmm. something like that. It's really expensive. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I actually I, I use a student account. <laughs> okay, so you are an Apple believer. Okay. Yeah. So so yeah. Cool. 
what about what about Kevin? Well, uh, I would prefer to use an official store as well. Uh, I actually uh, have the Android phone that's like backup phone, uh, playing around with a lot of apps before. But um, I noticed one problem is that uh, I tried to download it a lot of um, a lot of like unofficial um, apps from like third party providers or even on the like the official website of the no matter what kind of the services. Um, and they are not certified and because of the Android, it's openness, you can download it and install it, use it. Uh, but I find out the biggest problem is that um, the apps are pretty crap. That leads me to cancel them, all of them, like uh, after some trial runs. Um, so I was thinking like uh, maybe like through the policy of the app stores, um, you will prevent, you know, they have some kind of screening so you can prevent some of those shitty apps to like uh, be published because uh, there are really a lot of shitty apps. Um, they whether they are they are good at advertisement or not, um, they they can be like very good at advertisement. You're looking forward to um, like the functionality of the apps. However, if you use it, you crash a lot of times. The, the user experience is horrible, or there's a lot of like pop up ads that you cannot really close them. Uh, there are a lot of problems with those third party apps. So I think that. Um, if you have someone to screen it, uh, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty good for the for the user end as well. We don't need this flexibility. So Kevin, as a as a sort of an entrepreneur, do you think if you want to make an app today and you got uh, this thirty percent tax or fee from Apple, do you think it it is reasonable? And uh, yeah. Yeah, I think it is reasonable uh, as I'm using its platform. I'm uh, using its uh, um, like the, the their, their resource. Um, they can, I can use this platform to advertise my apps. Otherwise no one can be able to download it. Uh, even I open the link for the Android phone on my website, but it's very hard to search it. So I think like, uh, it's reasonable because they, they, they already did a good great job on building this platform. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, yeah, fifteen percent for for if you make less than a million. So for uh, maybe it's not you, you, your whole business not depend on a, on one app. You will, will pay. You will pay less. Cool. Uh, sorry, uh, Christine. Yeah. Uh, uh, the 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 what is it? The Jingjian of Google. Yeah. Yeah, I am so interested in this news. You know, as as yeah. <laughs> Yes, one of the um, specialists from previous Google Play policy team. Yeah, I had a lot to say. So, um, so you know, uh, in Neil's news, there was a statement saying that um, there is this uh, Google Pay system, right? And you don't think uh, Google is actually earning money from that, but actually, it's it's kind of uh, a uh, misunderstanding because Google really earns a lot from the Google payment system because, you know, for all of the apps uh, that you can download from the Google App Store, um, oh, sorry, Google Play Store, actually, um, uh, the developers are only limited to um, accept the payment from the Google Play, uh, Google payment system. So it means that if your apps uh, are con like, uh, are concluding a like third party payment system, like uh, you can pay from the PayPal or pay with your credit cards, then this app will be taken down. 
so yeah, so actually they're earning money from this pay system. Like every developers, when they upload their apps to the platform, then they need, uh, at first they need to check. Um, they are using this Google pay system. And then of course they have to um, abide by all of the Google play policies. And the policies are, I think, 200 or 300 clauses within all the policies. So yeah, it's actually a lot of work. So uh, I want to answer the, the question that Neil asked Kevin is that um, if Kevin is a app developer, if, uh, is he willing to like pay 30% of his um, income to the platform system, uh, to the platform? Actually, I think, I think yeah, the 30%, it's, it's really, really okay. It's like actually a fair um, percentage because you know the platform has to hire a lot of people like me to handle these crafts created by the developers you know yeah the the apps that you can download from we call them the third-party app stores which is uh you know aside from uh the official ones like google play and the app store that uh the other kind of markets that you can download apps are called the third-party market so the apps you can download from these third-party markets are actually crap because these apps uh are not uh, the thing that they can go official because the policies will ban them from uh, being shown in the official stores. So that's why they need this third-party markets for um, all kinds of people who, who need these kind of crappy apps or who needs to actually run across all the policies to get some kind of beneficials, like they need the third-party payments or they need a gambling feature within the app or they need some of like porn videos or yeah, a lot of things that probably are not suitable for uh, not not uh, especially children, but actually for a lot of people because it's actually doing like um, dangerous download or doing some illegal things. So yeah, this, these kinds of apps are actually aggregating the third party market. So yeah, I would say I will still prefer uh, downloading from the official Play Stores because yeah, official Play Stores or the app stores because yeah, it's actually doing a lot of things to, to uh, prevent people from, um, you know, being, um, challenged by the illegal kind of behaviors or being um, you know uh, invaded by all kinds of um, codes that we cannot really um, really like expect it would happen but actually especially for the Android phones you know um, the system is really really easy to be to be you know uh, yeah to be high uh, sorry high could yeah yeah hacked so yeah that's why Hmm. Okay, so the developers are actually like your mom and dad, right? They're your easy. I I don't think so. <laughs> I think we are the developers' mom and dad because we, we <laughs> handle so yeah so many crafts. Uh, that that was like made by them. Yeah, it's like they they are they are uh, making trash and then we we clean it and then and then which make their babies being clean and then that can, mm -hmm. that. Uh, can go official to the store yeah like babysitter yeah babysitter. yeah we're like babysitter so uh, <laughs> one last personal story i can share is that i actually developed an, an ios app before because i want like to watch mba app uh, videos so i created an app and i go to mba like get the url or something i use it by myself and uh you know if you want to upload your app through apple it and it takes around the first time it takes around like one or two weeks. It's crazy. It takes a lot of time. For Google, it takes just a, just a day. <laughs> it just takes one day. So I think Apple has a much, much, much harder restriction on the app's quality. 
And uh, if you already upload it, initial upload is done. Every time it takes another day for Apple to review, one or two days to review your app. Uh, for Google, I think it's a couple hours. Yeah. yeah, it's like eight hours. Yeah, usually it's pretty fast. Like maybe uh, they're working is like seven minutes and oh, it's done. So uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a good money. Yeah. Okay, so who's next? Who do we have next? Okay, yeah. Anna, the next person. So Anna, please. Okay, I think, uh, uh, okay. Uh, the article I shared today is regarding the vaccination. So I remember we discussed about um, some relevant news before, and now I think it's um, some company in the United States are really taking action. So um, in the article, say that business for months has have experimented with some softer incentive, including like offering them cash uh, reward or time off if they get vaccinated. However, um, the measures seems like um, taken so far is not leading to the level of a vaccination the company wants. So we are considering measures like, like penalized employee who remain unvaccinated. Uh, actually, such tactics are generally legal, uh, to my surprise, uh, according to uh, those experts, but um, it's, it's legal. We have some regulation, I, I find they are actually a lot. Uh, one is like ACA is the Affordable Care Act and also some EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, American with Disability Act and Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. So they are actually four laws or regulation mentioned in, in the article. But as long as they can uh, be, be careful about implementing those uh, regulations, actually this is illegal. Uh, so the, another concern for the company is actually they are afraid that it will prompt an employee to leave or uh, they will cause some other disruption due to the attraction. Um, okay, so... Um, but interesting is that uh, they actually do some exception uh, legal for those that if you don't take vaccine due to some medical reasons or religious reason, it's okay. And if the company offer reward to those uh, vaccinated, they also need to provide the same, uh, same level of opportunity for those uh, do not vaccine due to this medical and the religious um, reason. And there are also some regulation on the, uh, on the reward or penalty. It can only be as long as 30% as uh, of an employee's health insurance premium. So um, this topic uh, I would like to discuss, uh, I think uh, one question so far. So uh, do you personally uh, for or against that if your company wants to um, uh, take some abrasive measure to get employee vaccine, or if not at the moment, when you when is the proper time you think that the company should do so? I think I will share personally is that because at this time Taiwan's vaccine is limited, so I don't think it's a proper time. But as long as everyone get a fair chance to do what, I will um, 
for the company if they do so, because I don't think if that sometimes if they allowed people don't taking the vaccine, it also uh it seems like it's allowing some other people uh use um the freedom to harm uh the safety of others. So I personally will follow this kind of act. And I think for this question, I want to pick um Kevin, Neil, and Christine. Oh, I'm going, uh, going first. Um, Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> yeah, so do you uh, against or for the company if they want, want everyone to take vaccine mandatory? And if this is not the right time, when you think it's the right time to do so? So, so there's no assumption that uh, it's we all have the enough vaccine. You can make the assumption if you want. Uh, okay, so it's a similarity. Okay, Kevin, go. Okay, uh, it's really hard. Okay, um, an easier answer is that of course not, because now a lot of people in Taiwan cannot get the vaccine. So if I uh, erect this policy, it means that I have to lay it off like maybe almost everyone uh, in the company. <laughs> not possible. Yeah, but uh, I, I believe Anna is not asking this way. So um, let's assume that uh, we have a sufficient uh, vaccine um, uh, supply and everyone can take the vaccine all based on their will, like in UK. Uh, then I think uh, if whether the policy should, the company should have this policy. Um, I think no, that um, I think, um, of course, if someone is uh, infected with the uh, COVID then uh, it might uh, affect the company very much, but, uh, I think that um, if using this as the as the only reason why you cannot uh, you can uh, well you cannot work in the company it's not uh, uh, it's not a good idea. Um, I think uh, there should be some some similar situation that uh, because of something happened so uh, my employee should do something to prevent the company from losing. Um, say for example. Um, Mm, okay, so now everyone is running for a lottery. And uh, if you want to buy a lottery, you have to queue up in lines. So a lot of people are asking to take a day off to, uh, to, to, to buy the lottery and it might affect the company operation. But I think for the company, like they shouldn't ban the people from like uh, buying the lottery. It's, it's not their business. Um, it's the government CDC's business, not company. Mm. I think uh, one of the issue um, with uh, United States companies that like Taiwan, we have the national health in insurance. However, uh, the insurance mostly uh, are one of the benefits of the company that will be provided to their employee. So they also have a lot kind of like, mm -hmm, dilemma to see if you uh, like Kevin, if you already get vaccine, but unfortunately you still get um, the COVID-19. Um, yeah, you have done everything you could do. So I can offer you the, the health care, but like maybe Neil, he doesn't want to take vaccine. And then he also gets the COVID-19. In that kind of situation, maybe Neil is at fault, but should the company still provide the health care to them? It's one of the dilemmas. So if it's much easier if everyone takes the vaccine and uh, it will lower the risk that the employee get vaccine and they need to pay for their, um, they need to afford some of their health care. Yeah, 
I think this is something that is mentioned in the article, but not so much. Uh, how about you, Neil? Like uh, you don't have anything right now because you only want tech ENT and your company think, no, you should not do so. You should take it right now. Are you happy with that? Oh, that's a great, that's a great assumption. Uh, yeah, I think same, same thought as Kevin uh, for Taiwan is not a, is not applicable for, for a discussion because we don't have the vaccine. <laughs> so the mandatory is not effective. Uh, make it mandatory is not effective. So uh, I think it's the, the, the whole context is under the US context. They have vaccine, uh, triple amount of they, they, they can, they, their, their population. Um, for, if you ask me, um, if my company asked me to get a vaccination right away, uh, to get an AZ right now instead of BNT, uh, otherwise they want, to, want me to leave, I would say I, will, I would accept because I think that's a very reasonable require, requirement. Um, but if it's Gaudouan, I'll probably, <laughs> no, I, it's actually, I think it's both still, it's just, just kidding. I, just, I think it's still valid because uh, uh, the, the business can be heavily affected by, by, the, by the COVID. Like imagine all the, uh, the customer knows, oh, there's someone from Guotai Yinghang, there's someone from where it got, got COVID, they don't want you to come over. So I think it's a reasonable request and I, I will comply. Um, and do I think under the assumption, assumption that we all have vaccination, enough vaccinations, should the company ask everybody to get the vaccination? Uh, I think of course, of course. Uh, in Taiwan's case, of course, and everybody will do it. But in the US, it's very different. Republicans, the, does not want to get the vaccination. And uh, there are people with different religious beliefs. They think the vaccination is, I don't know if you're, you're a vegetarian, you, don't, you can't get that. Uh, I don't know why, uh, but um, they have different considerations. So I would say uh, it's a tough question. Yeah. yeah, I think they now only accept reason for like medical and the religious a common uh, reason. So other reason like you have the preference to certain brand may not be accepted. And that's uh, why they raise this um, issue in the news. And how about you, Christine? You, you take the vaccine very early. Yeah, um, as an employee, I think it's reasonable if my company encourages me to get the vaccination, but I don't think that's a proper thing if they force all of the employees to do so, because the reason is just like everybody know, it's simple because the vaccination needs to, yeah, in like injected into human body. So yeah, so I don't think that's something that a company can force its employees to do, but I think to encourage them to do, and also uh, for the employees who get early vaccinations, who can go back to the office earlier, maybe the company can like uh, have some benefits for them. Then I think it's reasonable because the company re really needs uh, the employees to go back to the office to uh, create more, yeah, you know, values for the company. And they really need the employees to, um, yeah, to, to be healthier because they probably need to like see the clients and they don't want to affect 
like the company's um, reputation because of this, uh, because of the COVID-19, maybe some of them got in infected or not. Yeah, they don't want to be affected by this. So I think it's reasonable if they encourage the employees to do so. But uh, if, if a company uh, forces everybody to do so, then I think it's still, yeah, it still depends on uh, whether whether uh, the the nation or yeah the, the country's situation is um, like suitable to do so. So for example, in the United States, because people care a lot about human rights, so maybe this is not a good, um, yeah, it is not a good solution. But in Taiwan, because now people are people are yeah <laughs> urging for getting vaccination, so I think maybe the company can can probably make uh, to create yeah to to make some policy for about this. But yeah, the situation in Taiwan is, of course, just like Neil and Kevin said, the vaccination is not enough. So yeah, this situation is not uh, exists. And for the acceptable timing, maybe um, maybe when yeah when uh, the the like whole general people are getting vaccination, like uh, it's already seventy percent or something, then I think it's really acceptable. Acceptable if your um, yeah if your supervisor asks you to. Get the vaccination because every people have so yeah i think that's the acceptable timing but uh that's not the time in taiwan so yeah yeah i i actually find this uh topic i think it will be more and more interesting going forward because just like the um some people like they will sign the notification or like equipment that they don't want to be rescued so it's really possible that there are some people they have some of not maybe just medical or religious reason. They just have their own belief. Can they just get up the right, or they can they get the right not to be vaccinated? I think it's actually pretty interesting. And actually, in most of the situation, we actually have the right of privacy. Right? So we don't need to tell what kind of disease I I I have. So uh, just because COVID-19 is uh, contagious, so we need to let people know. But how about in the future, if uh, we, we have some uh, like treatment for them, do we still let other people know if you get the COVID or if you take the vaccine? Uh, I think it will be a topic like for the much uh, uh, longer future. Yeah, so this is my article. Thank you. Great. Uh, okay, so let's move on to the next uh, reporter, uh, which is Ham. Ham is your turn. Okay, so this news is about uh, to explain why Amazon is confronting uh, Mukesh Ambani, like the owner of Reliance Industries. Uh, if you know a little about India, you, you, you've heard Tata and Reliance Industries and Reliance Industries actually was ranked number two back to uh, 2017, but now it's the number one company uh, when it comes to the market capitalization. So it is the biggest company in India. So the story is like that. So Amazon uh, is going to require a brand called Big Bazaar Big Bazaar, Bazaar means a market in Indian English. Big Bazaar means big market. It's a retail, uh, retail stores in India. So it, it was, uh, Amazon was going to acquire Big Bazaar, the asset of Future Group back to 2019. And 
but uh, the the Mukesh Ambani they offered a counter offer to acquire the Future Group as a whole. So uh, this become an arbitration and it, it is solved in uh, Singapore. And because it's not the, the latest news, the latest news is that the Sing Singapore arbitration uh, is more for uh, reliance industries. So it actually paved the way for the Amazon, sorry, for reliance industries to acquire the Future Group. So uh, why, why Amazon uh, why reliance industries are uh, interested in on online shopping, e-commerce, but they uh, decided to acquire the brick and mortar stores like Big Bazaar because, um, you know, like Amazon actually acquired Whole Foods in uh, 2017, and it was a big success because Whole Foods becomes uh, distribution centers and logistics centers for Amazon to deliver the green stuff, the vegetables and and fruits, and Amazon wants to uh, duplicate the model to India, and that's why. And however, the, the Indian government stepped in and say uh, they enacted a law in 2018 and said that the foreign company cannot uh, can only be a neutral platform in India. It means that the platform cannot sell their own brands in their platform. So if you've been to Costco, you will, you will see the uh, Cockland. And yeah, just like in Amazon, Amazon cannot sell their own products. They, it can only become a broker uh, instead of, you know, to buy, buy the products and do some arbitrage stuff. Okay. So yeah, so uh, because uh, Modi, like the, the government, is, it's kind of national, nationalism and they are more pro to uh, support reliance industries because they want to provoke no sorry to encourage the domestic economy and they are more pro to reliance industries yeah that that's the the uh, briefing of this article so my question is quite easy uh you can you can choose Let, let's say like number one okay so the, do do you think it makes sense for the indian government's uh, policy of neutral platform to restrict Amazon from selling their own brand's products in their platform. And I will go into name Anna, Neil, and Wesley to answer this question. So yeah, Anna, you can go first. Okay, may I check that restrict means that they could not sell it or they could not sell only their brand? Uh, they, they can build a platform, and but they cannot sell their own products on their platform. Now then? Uh, uh, Amazon, only Amazon. But you can, like for the small retailers in India, they can sell their products on Amazon platform. Yeah, because I think it's, it's actually reasonable based on the India's economy right now. London need to protect their own product that um if like because if amazon they want they sell a product in a fair price uh it's still very appealing to like local indians that they can buy some uh uh the foreign things uh locally and with lower cost instead of like imports from internationally but um, i would say uh they should only like limit some amount of type not all of them because if i open a 
like I open store layer and the none of the product in the store is belong belong to my brand. It's actually weird and I don't understand why I should do so. Yeah, so it makes sense lots of why India government do that, but it won't make sense to Amazon investor or Amazon itself if uh, none of them can be sold. So I have to add that not only Amazon in the actually like Costco, Tongyi, you know, presidents, uni presidents, they are trying to build their own brands because they will leverage their the, the other brands that do this is ODM, right? You know, they, they sell their own products in a really competitive price in their platform to get more market share. Yeah, so that's, I would say, yeah, that's, that's kind of competitive, but that's actually normal like in the world. That just, just at some point right here. Yeah, because um, yeah, imagine like because now I can only buy uh Kirkland product in the Costco, so I think Kirkland product doesn't make threat to other people because it's a membership uh system. Mm. But if like for this uh, Amazon store, if it's not limited to the members, like everyone can do that, it to make more impact on the Indian market. So that's why they want to put this restriction. Okay. Okay, great. So next one will be Neil. And you can choose like if you know like any case like nationalism case in Taiwan to interfere. Uh, if you know any any of it, or you can answer question number one. Do you think it's yeah? yeah. Uh I think uh can you give an example of Taiwanese government to interfere FDI due to nationalism? I, I can't give it, I can't give any example. Uh, I don't remember any of the example. Uh, but uh, probably some merchant acquisition, probably some merchant acquisition from China. We stopped it. That's all I remember for for display panel and semiconductor. Uh, but not a very like popular cases. I would I would say the first. Uh, first, part of the questions that the Indian Indian India government asked for neutral platform to restrict Amazon, and I think this is this is super weird. As as I think you you all know that usually you retailers will create their, their own brand because they they will have a tighter relationship with, for example, PNG sells the shampoo and. Uh, and they ultimately they'll know where, which is the factory that manufactured the shampoo. So uh, Costco or Trendlian will go to the factory and says, can you manufacture shampoo for us? Um, uh, try different ingredients, just put a different brand and they will charge like 50% of the price. Mm -hmm. um, it, it will never be the main selling motion of the retail store uh, because, because um, doing, Selling in FMCG, especially in, the, in these in, the, in these companies, the most important thing is to do marketing. Okay, so you really have to let the, the customer know, and uh, you're the only channel that is promoting this product. There's no way you can sell Kirkland in Careful or in, in Trillion. So I don't think there will, it won't be it won't be a threat. And and I think in the past couple of decades, all the major FMCG companies are. There, there are some restrictions, but they still live with it because it's it doesn't really harm. It's raised the bottom line for 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 retail store a bit. Yeah, so I don't see the the rational rational behind. Yeah. 
it doesn't yeah, make because sense. Because you don't, you don't think like Amazon will become the only one channel. So it will be fine to sell their own products in their channel, right? Um, because I don't think Amazon will be the only uh, e-commerce channel in the, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, the thing is, even though Amazon is the, the biggest e-commerce platform in U.S., but people, you, you have a variety of choices. I do buy a electric cord from Amazon. It's called Amazon Select or Amazon Basic. It's pretty cheap. It, it works pretty good. Yeah, but you, it's very limited, and you don't really think that it will replace all of the, the major players in the market. So... I don't, I don't understand why the Indian governments are so worried. They're just pushing away um, all of the, the companies from, from China and the U.S. That's what I felt. They, they are quite against, you know, like, you know, um, so before Wesley to start, I, I think like for Indian government, they are saying that we want your money to, to build a platform, but we don't want you to sell your own products. So like they are, they are quite supportive to their local business, local companies, but not for the foreign companies. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think it makes sense, but it's it's for their own favor. I think that makes sense. <laughs> okay, how about Wesley? You can choose either question one or two. Yeah, I Do you know I, any case? Mm -hmm. uh, I think I probably know some cases, but I, I, I also want to start from the first question that yeah, sure. Uh, we we know that for uh for platform for for e-commerce platform that if you want to, I mean, any kind of platforms like uh, retailers kind of platform, they if you want to sell your own product, the first thing is not to convince your uh customers to buy your product. It is actually to convince your suppliers that your own product will not jeopardizing uh their mm -hmm. products, right? And um, in in the recent decades, just like Neil just said, uh, uh, this kind of uh, behavior and business model actually works. And a lot of um, retailers uh, can successfully convince their suppliers that their own product will not uh, competing uh, with uh, their supplier's product. And I think, I think I'm thinking about uh, uh, maybe that is particularly uh, a thing happens in retailers market, but not in mo many other kind of market. For example, like uh, we all know that in semiconductors uh, industry that um, if you want to, uh, how, uh, how to say that, you want to be a manufacturer, you, you, you will not want to um, uh, enter into the, uh, uh, how to say R&D sectors, or otherwise uh, you will directly uh, competing with your clients yeah something like that and um i think the real i think the the, the point behind it is that for retailers market uh you can actually more easily to segment it, the the the, uh, the markets that you, you only tweak your uh your product a little bit and you can uh use your marketing ways to to sell it in in, in the other ways so you will not really directly competing with your clients or your suppliers. But that, that is not a thing happens in many, many uh, industries. And back to the India's question, back to the India situation, I think what India's uh, government is terrifying about is that they don't know how to sell their uh, local products 
in a more creative way, in a way that uh, the Amazon's product will not jeopardize their, uh, their survivorship. So yeah, that also shows that, um, I mean, I mean, those kind of uh, policy also shows that uh, those local uh, stores, they, they desperately need those kind of protections from, uh, uh, from competing, competing with, uh, with um, those international powers. Yeah, so in, in, in that kind of uh, understanding that, uh, that policy probably makes sense. Yeah. So uh, to relate to the second question, I think Taiwanese government owes, I mean, most of the government will interfering with foreign direct investments due to a lot of uh, policy issues like, uh, for example, in Taiwan, we, we have a lot of different policy towards the green energy uh, industry, like the uh, windmills, uh, like, especially like offshore windmills uh, uh, industry. They, they, they actually, I mean, our government actually really, really desperately, almost des des desperately want those kind of uh, technology being located in Taiwan so that they can uh, sell it as a propaganda to our, 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 um, our people that they support green energy. So actually they loosen up a lot of uh, restriction on those, on those uh, foreign uh, direct investment things. I think maybe Ham will, could, could maybe add some point on that. Now they freeing up a lot of uh, uh, restriction on uh, those foreign, uh, how to say that, green energy companies to to uh, invest in those projects, and they almost forcing uh, the uh, local um, banks to to loan money <laughs> to lo to those projects, even though that's highly risky. But they somewhat, uh, I mean, the government somewhat force those banks to to loan their monies yeah something like that so i mean oh yeah yeah as a government they they have a lot of propaganda and they to towards all different kind of uh, foreign investments yeah definitely <laughs> so yeah i think like i i actually never uh thought about like you know, renewable energy but i think you are right you know because uh in our bank like dps bank is it's the biggest foreign bank to support renewable uh, projects in Taiwan. So um, but actually renewable, especially for offshore wind, actually didn't go that well and we knew it. And just like Wesley said, like the, the government wants the, the investment group, you know, from nor Northern uh, Europe to invest in Taiwan uh, projects, but they also want to, uh, the local players, companies to produce I, th I think it's around like fifty percent, over fifty percent of the components to support uh, this this project. But you know, because Taiwanese uh, comp companies don't have experience to produce, the, you know, the components for the windmill, the like offshore windmill, and so and so it's very very risky. And the risk actually broke out like in in, in this year. So like Zhang Bing uh, offshore project. It actually went bankrupt, and but it didn't go go bankrupt because the government asked uh, the investment group to inject more 
uh, equity in a project. And they say, we don't have any money because they use the SPV, you know, the, the special uh, vehicle, you know, to avoid the debtedness to back to a parent company. Maybe there are some banking terms, but you know that the debt won't come back to the parent company. So they say, we don't have money and we don't want to inject money. So we let's say go, go bankrupt. And the government say, no, you cannot do that. So let's say you inject maybe like uh, 20% of the money and then the banks will support the other 80%. That, that happened. So the banks are actually rushing out of the project. They, some, some banks uh, sell down their debt, but the governmental banks like like Land Bank, Taiwan Bank, they become you know, like, like, like in this project because everyone, like every student pays for it. But you, you didn't feel it, but Gongu Yinhang actually, you know, had a lot of some like in, in this project. Okay, so I think back to uh, question two, I want to, I want to mention a Taipei 101, you know, in back to uh, 2014, there's, there's a Malaysian company called IOI. They want to uh, acquire the shares from Dingxin about the uh, Taipei 101 shares and become the owner of Taipei 101. But it was interrupted by Taiwanese government. You know, even the deal was done, but Taiwanese government, you know, at the last minute say, no, you cannot acquire it because Taipei 101 is the sign of Taiwan as a nation, you know, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so I think the next article will be Wesley. Yes. And um, yeah, so my article is about the restriction recently imposed by the uh, China governments. And um, they, they I, I don't know why, I think maybe uh, Kevin could uh, further elaborate on that afterwards that they start to impose a, a restriction on uh, video gaming or online gaming for kids. And I think the, the restriction is got uh, stricter and stricter. And um, so, so yeah, I think that's basically the, the, the point of this uh, news. Uh, and, and actually some of the, the uh, gaming uh, companies, they, they claim that they will comply with this kind of uh, restriction. And some of them just to ease the, the mind of the shareholder, they say that, oh, it's, it's actually fine because those kids will not, uh, I mean, they will not spend a lot of money uh, on us. That, so so our, our revenue will not be harmed by this kind of restriction, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, uh, as we can see in the recent markets, it shows that every uh, one, everyone is really terrifying about uh, this particular um, restriction that uh, all those uh, gaming company will be will be damned by by these uh, restrictions. So yeah, my question is that uh, it's totally unrelated to somewhat related to the, the the topic is that do you think it's a good idea to limit the gaming time for for kids? And you can elaborate the answer by. Uh, by your experience, or maybe uh, your 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 idea that uh, if you have a kids in the future, uh, what will you do to to uh, to educate them in terms of uh, gaming times? And I want to choose Kevin and Christine and let's say Ham. Yeah. 
Okay, I say uh, no limitation based on my experience as the limitation creates only a black market. It's, it's useless and uh, the black market usually harms a lot more because no, like, um, kids cannot really manage the time that well. Um, and I think that the best solution is that uh, it's like you have to find an alternative product for, the, for such supply. Then the black market issue will not be that, that harsh. Maybe uh, have some other interest be building that, is a, that correspond to kids' needs. I, I, I suppose that all the kids, like uh, uh, beside, uh, beside mathematics or, or, or uh, you, you, you name it true, like those, those parent wanted interests, they have their own real interest that's outside of gaming. And their, their real interest, maybe it's, it's pretty good as well. Like painting or like even drawing a comic, it's good. It's, it's much better than sticking with your phone or, or a screen to harm your eyesight for the video gaming. So I think, yeah, that's my answer. Yeah, do, do you uh, being restricted from gaming as a kid? Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot like, uh, but it's, it never, never work. Never works, yeah. It will always create a black market behind that, right? Yeah, and in, in very bad ways, like, uh, yeah, higher cost, say, like uh, hiding the, in the blanket to play the PSP and I, that's why- And I creepier games. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so back uh, to Christine. Yeah, I think instead of um, limiting the, the time for kids to play games, I think maybe the better idea is to teach them uh, about managing their time. So it's like um, insert time management into their, their schedule of, of um, you know, gang. yeah. I think that's, that's a better way to really um, get them outside of playing games because yeah just like Kevin said if you limit child to do anything then that the children will find eventually find a way to do even more and sometimes yeah the there there is a lot of backfire and yeah backwards for for that so um to ban to ban kids to play games I don't think that's a really good idea but but if um this is a limitation set by the government uh, for like play, playing games only one, uh, one and a half hour, right? In a mm. day, then I think somehow it's a good idea. Yeah, because, because that's the uh, reason that the parents can tell their kids, yeah, you know, if you play extra time, then yeah, it's, it's illegal. So maybe that's a better uh, kind of way to really teach time management, but I don't think everybody will use it in the right way. So yeah, it's still not really natural to me. Yeah, so you just say that you, you want your kids to, uh, uh, how do you say that, to manage their own time, like to plan their own free times. Into yeah, I, think, I think to learn, um, like at least learning to manage their time, like um, you can play games, but after you finish your homework, so it's something uh -huh. like that, yeah. So after I check your homework and it's done, then yeah, you can play uh, whatever you like and how, uh, like, um, like, yeah, as long as you want. But yeah, it's only will happen after you finish all of your work. Yeah, mm -hmm. something like that, maybe. And, and you have also uh, like need to go to bed at a like fixed time. Yeah, something like that. Nice. Okay, so let's I'll go to go to him. 
uh, I was so, I'm so excited to answer this question. Like I, 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 I am, I was a big fan. No, I am a big fan of gaming when I was a child, like four years old, you know, my favorite video game is, it's called Yo-Yo Hachi, you know, like Yo-Yo Baisu, like in Sega. Like I, I play the game for the whole day. And, but when I entered elementary school, my parents set uh, the password in, according to the encyclopedia. So I have to check every term in encyclopedia to, to uh, key in the computer to, to see if it is the correct password because my parents think it will make me real, uh, memorize more vocabularies. And I-, I, I so, so your, your computer, yeah. sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. So your computer's password is actually a term from the encyclopedia. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I was there. I, I I can like I can feel the pain, you know, in front of the screen, you know, when I if I was a child in China right now. <laughs> I mean so, like, I mean your your parents actually put a lot of effort on limiting your uh, gaming times, you know. <laughs> they actually yeah, need to check on those encyclopedia. Yeah, in, instead of checking like every vocabulary in, in the encyclopedia, I just check the, the paper, you know, uh heat in my in my mom property you know i just i you know that that's i yeah it, it, it doesn't work that way and i, I think you know because I, I think that it's actually a stereotype you know to to work again because game is actually a combination combination of the art the music you know the game game is it's an and art problem solving you, you, you say yeah, problem solving. Yeah, you, learn how to be every, brave. <laughs> every game has a rule. And if you want to dominate to champion the rule, you have to be smart. Right? <laughs> right. So I, I think like for I, I think the government should understand like for those games, you know, for like you know, to spend like all their stuff, money to to win the game. That's the bad game. That that should be banned. But like for, for the games like civilization, you know, women people, you can learn a lot of vocabularies in the game. It should be promoted. I played like 20 hours a day, like in, in my college time. And I learned a lot of <laughs> vocabularies. I really miss that time. Yeah. So do you eat, you know, like, man? <laughs> do you pee? Yeah, that also makes me- use a diaper. You use a diaper. It also makes me slim. <laughs> I, I don't eat. I, I'm, I'm doing like fasting. You know, that's quite popular right now. It's like natural fasting. <laughs> okay. But okay. I, I think- that's a backfire from my parents because I was restricted from playing a uh, video game you know, at till the end of senior high school. So when I entered the university, you know, NTU, you know, finally make NTU and I can play the game as much as I want. So I put a lot of video game in my uh, in my freshman year. Yeah. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I, I do the same that I, I, I'm being banned from playing any games when I was a kid uh, living at home. So when I first joined the university, the first thing is to uh, download a lot of video games that uh, everyone has played. And I right. played uh, <laughs> a lot, yeah. Yeah, okay, so next one will be Kevin. Yeah, so finally to my news. Um, from Financial Times, it's the number one hot news for today. And so the title, it's uh, it is written by George Soros, by the way, the, the head of the Soros Fund, which is highly related to that uh, the 1997 uh, financial crisis in Southeast Asia. 
maybe you have heard of his name, a very big name in the finance industry. And uh, he said that investors in Xi's China face a rude awakening. And the, the, the subline is the leaders crack down on private enterprise shows he does not understand the market economy. So this pretty much summarized the entire news that uh, he's criticizing how uh, Xi, President Xi has uh, like set the limitation to the, to the Chinese companies like uh, uh, for the a series of the news that we have reported before like saying uh, cracking down the like Jack Ma or they uh, they send some uh, of the government people like into TikTok's uh, broad uh, board of director team and they 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 uh, have a lot of restrictions like say like Wesley uh, they said uh, for the video games uh, and recently they 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 do something on the on the movie industry as well so they did a lot the uh, Chinese government try, tried did a lot of things on the on those like uh, uh, market economy uh, entities but it's going to cause a disaster and it's now um, like um, alerted by George Soros and um, but I listed a lot of the examples um, at the end the George Soros actually um, propose or suggest the US Congress should pass a bipartisan bill to require the asset managers in the states to invest only in companies that is uh, uh, that's clean and it's uh, well, you have the actual government structure that is both transparent and aligned uh, with the stakeholders. Um, so um, in the U.S. stock market, they're, they're, uh, in Nasdaq, um, a lot of Chinese companies try to be listed on there, but they don't have a very transparent uh, company record, and it's always been argued by the by the U.S. people. And uh, and Soros said that it might cause a very big problem if the U.S. invest. Uh, investors are uh, keep investing their uh, retirement funds or or bonds into these uh, the uh, in in, in uh, into these uh, these Chinese companies, and yeah, so uh, so this is pretty much like an opinion article uh, by by a big name in the finance industry. And my question is pretty straight: that um, if his suggestion really came into a reality that got the consensus among the U.S. public and the Congress. To pass such a bill that uh, require all the U.S. funds only invest in the uh, the company that's transparent uh, in China, then what would be the possible outcome? Uh, I will ask uh, Anna, Ham, and Wesley to answer. Can you explain that question again? Again, I'm actually confused about this. Yeah. So article. Okay, so uh, yeah, uh, I can ask him to answer first. So the question is that, uh, so George Soros, a very big name in the finance industry are suggest uh, suggesting the uh, Congress to pass a bill that uh, limit the US investors to invest in the Chinese company that's, that's not transparent uh, enough, like according to probably a US standard. Um, and what would be the possible outcome is if this this uh, this opinion be widespread and it become a reality? Do you think, uh, Han? How do you think? Yeah, also excited to answer this question. So first thing first, so Joe Solo was a winner back to nineteen nineties, but it's a total loser like in, in today, because the background uh, information is Joe Solo lost a lot of money in Chinese ADR, like. He invested heavily like two months ago and he lost billions of dollars. So for me, it's, it's, more, it's not like an opinion, it's more like an argument. 
let's say like a total loser, right? In investment industry, right? I lost the money and cry, cry, hey, you, you should not make me to invest this shit. And, and yeah, I need your help, something like that. So <laughs> for me, it's, it's such a loser. But but I, I think like uh, for this outcome, I think it's impossible. <laughs> so I, I think the truth is if you want the, the foreign companies to SPO, I mean, they IPO in their own market and then SPO in America is called ADR, right? To stop this uh, structure, it will make the, the uh, United States not uh, stop becoming the capital center of the world. Because, because for the equity market in United States, like NASDAQ and the New, New York Exchange, like the best part of that is any company. It's very easy to SPO in United States. It's very easy. But it's it's very difficult to IPO in Taiwan, and easier to IPO in Hong Kong, and much easier to IPO in United States, right? Because like Taiwan, Taiwanese government scrutinized like every detail, the financial statements of the company to make sure the investors are safe. But United States, you lose money, you are the loser, and that's all. It's quite liberal. So I I, I really don't think that this opinion will be you know. Uh, enacted like in United States and especially it's from George Solo. So <laughs> that's, that's from me. Very cool. I never thought of it. I've seen just the news. And how about Wesley? Do you have some thought? Uh, actually, I, I don't uh, really familiar with uh, the regulation uh, attitudes of uh, the SEC uh, of the United States, but um, I think if, uh, I mean, let's say if this kind of uh, restriction or this kind of uh, policy really imposed, uh, it would definitely have some uh, gravity behind uh, of that. Uh, uh, a lot of investors, especially those uh, institutional investors will, will start to uh, withdraw their money uh, from, from China uh, markets or chi Chinese companies in, yeah, that, that will, uh, I think that will, uh, first thing is to uh, make those companies more suffer and will drive, it, drive them to do more risky uh, things. And uh, yeah, I think all in all that will probably uh, make the whole thing more messier. Yeah, that is my, my guess. Hmm. Okay, uh, how about Anna? Yeah, I think that um, a, a, the government should not make this regulation as because um, like uh, those has been mentioned especially uh, by him, it's actually um, not uh, be the solution of what they want to prevent. And actually um, how, how the government can just define the transparent and how could they just make sure what they think is transparent is indeed transparent. So it, it will actually make more uh, the scene more complicated. And and I think um, they should actually just uh, just let the uh, the information of those companies be transparent to all the investors and let the investor make their own decisions to invest in those China company or not, and not just stop them from the beginning. Because I think um, 
we monitor by the, the government is actually difficult, but if it was put in the market and you put the information more transparent to everyone, um, I think those um, investor and of, of, of course those very professional one, they are many like thousands of all ten thousands. So they have more eyes to help you to check the details for everyone. Mm. Okay, great. Uh, thank you, uh, everyone, for the opinions. Um, and so today, um, let's recap what we have discussed. That first, we talk about like um, the future meetings uh, from Christine. Uh, that uh, talk about the virtual meeting and the actual meeting. And then uh, from Neil, we talk about the app stores from the Google and Apple, like how how they charge the um, the, the people through their payment system. Then uh, for Anna, we talk about whether the company should, uh, should set the uh, requirement for the employees to take the vaccines if they want to work. Uh, and then from Ham, we talk about uh, how India, Indians have been uh, uh, requiring Amazon to, you know, to restrict themselves from their own brand stuff to, uh, to protect their market. And from Westy, it's, uh, we talk about the Chinese policy on the uh, on restriction on the time uh, for kids to do the gaming. And for Kevin, for my part, it's, uh, it's talk about George Soros's opinion to, uh, for US people to invest in Chinese uh, companies. So yeah, um, that's pretty much the news we have covered today. And uh, thank you all for joining. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you.